Hello, good morning everybody. Uh, my name is Jake. I haven't had a chance to meet you yet. I'm one of the pastors here and I'm really excited to be with y'all this morning. I got this really awesome coffee cup I found earlier, so that's making me feel very big and strong, mighty. But uh, it's so good, so good to be with y'all. Hey, we're going to continue the series we started two weeks ago called Christian. And uh, in this series, we're talking about this this word up here, Christian. And the reason we're talking about it is because we've kind of come to realize that no one really knows what this means. Like we all can uh, define it any, any like way that we want. And we said that, uh, you know, just like look at Christian, you see like Christians on every side of like every, almost every war, every side of like every political issue, every side of every legal argument. And you think like, why, why can't Christians ever get along? Why isn't there more unity in this, this group of people called Christians? And we said, we've just kind of discovered that the reason that's the case, or at least one of the main reasons that's the case is because the word Christian actually isn't ever defined in the Bible. Like there's, it's actually only used three times in the entire, in the entire Bible. And every time that it's used, it's used by an outside group, uh, uh, referring to this group of Jesus followers. And so they kind of uh, coined this term Christian. It's kind of a derogatory term. And, and consequently, like the, the, it's never defined. It's never, we're never told exactly this is what a Christian should do or what a, a Christian should do. It's, it's just not defined. And so it, it, we said that that's not helpful. And we've also looked at how uh, there was another term that, like, the first century uh, Christians, if you will, it's like, how do you refer to that? But uh, Christ followers uh, referred to themselves, and Jesus referred to his followers with this other term. Y'all remember what that term is? Disciples. There we go. Like, two of y'all have been paying attention so far. I'm really proud of y'all. But... uh, (laughs) disciples. That's the term that Jesus would use. And that's what the first century believers would use of themselves. Now we've said now that term is a kind of a terrifying term. Like it's, you know, you can hide behind the label Christian and make it mean kind of whatever you want it to mean. And if someone ever comes at you and is like, Hey, I don't really know if you're living the right way. You can say, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Hey, Hey, don't come after me. Like I'm a Christian. And you would point to something or some things that you believe in as your defense that they shouldn't be bothering you with how you're living. But with a disciple, a disciple is more than just what you believe in. It certainly includes that, but it also carries with it not only that you believe some certain truths about Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross and through his resurrection and how we can have our sins forgiven through him and only him. But it also pertain, it also includes this idea of not only what I believe, but how I will behave. Like I'm actually interested in actually living like Jesus lived to be a real follower of Jesus. And here's the thing, like if we're, if you just kind of consider yourself a Christian and you kind of hide behind that label and you say, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a, what, what happens is that people oftentimes in the world look at us as Christians and they expect more of us than we even expect of ourselves. So when we're hiding behind that label, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, many of our neighbors and friends, and they're looking at us and they're saying, hey, but you don't look like Jesus. You don't look like Jesus. You don't look like Jesus. And that's where this kind of difference comes between a Christian and a disciple. In fact, I, I like what Steve Jobs said in his biography, and some of y'all might remember reading this. It says, he said, the juice goes out of Christianity when it becomes too based on faith rather than on living like Jesus or seeing the world as Jesus saw it. 
And so like, Steve Jobs, not a believer, but he says, from my perspective, as an outsider kind of looking in, like, I feel like the juice just kind of goes out of Christianity. Like, it, it loses its power. It loses its punch whenever it's just about what you believe and nothing about how you behave. And you know, that shouldn't shock us. Like that, that shouldn't surprise us. Because I think that if we had talked to Jesus and we said, Jesus, like, hey, what is it, what is it like to be your follower? Like, what, what, what do your followers do? What does it mean to like, be with you? He would say, as he said, and we've looked at the last couple of weeks in John 13, 34 and 35, he, he would say, hey, like, what, let me just bottom line it for you. Like what it really comes down to, to be my follower, to be considered one of my disciples, it, it really comes down to loving one another. Like in, the, in that verse, John 13, 30, uh, 35, he said it that way. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Not simply what you believe, though what you believe is certainly important. Like, that's, like you can't be a disciple without actually believing that Jesus is Christ and that he died for you. you. Why would you want to follow him if he wasn't that for you? If he claimed he was, it doesn't make sense. If he thought he was God and you don't think he's God, like, that doesn't make sense why you're going to follow him. But if you believe that and then you want to follow him, like he says, this is what it looks like to follow. It's not just believing it. It's not just what you do on a Sunday morning. Really, what it comes down to, the defining characteristic of my followers, of my disciples, is going to be how you love one another, how you treat one another. And that's hard, right? We've talked about that last couple of weeks. We said, man, that, that's, that's not as easy as just believing something. Like, we, I'd, rather just, I'd rather just be able to just believe something instead of actually having to love the people that you're sitting around, right? And loving other people. Like that, that's a lot harder, but Jesus said, and that's what it is. To be my disciple. That's the defining characteristic. Okay, so that's what we've talked about the last two weeks. A little recap there. Today we're going to switch gears a little bit. And we're going to focus not, not uh, I guess we are going to focus on uh, how disciples or Jesus' followers should treat those that aren't Jesus' followers. Because if you really think about it, the last two weeks was really talking about how Jesus' followers should treat other Jesus' followers. We should love one another. But now we'll switch gears and think, how, how should Jesus' followers treat those that aren't Jesus' followers? And this is, is going to be, I think, a, a really uh, fun uh, topic to talk about, but it's going to be challenging. I think that if you're in here today and you're not a Jesus follower, you don't consider yourself a Christian or a church person, I think that you're going to have a hard time not wanting to stand up in the middle of the message and say amen. And you probably never say amen in church if you're not a Jesus follower. But, but this is going to be one of those times where it's like, you're going to say, man, that's what I've been telling you all of this time. Like, you should have been listening to me all this time. And you're like, I don't even know I was quoting the Bible, but I've been quoting the Bible, it turns out, and you should have been listening to me. It's going to be one of those Sundays for you. And for, uh, for the rest of us who are Jesus followers, who are Christians, like, you, you, you might feel a little uncomfortable. I felt very uncomfortable this whole week as I've been working on this message. It's going to call us to a level of loving one another that's not just warm and fuzzy. And it's going to be a little challenging, what we're going to look at today. And, and you might not like it, just, just to be honest. And, and if you don't like it, here's what I would ask you to do. I'd ask you, instead of just going home and being like, I'm, you know, forget what that guy said, I'm not going to do that. What I really would ask you to do is when you go home, open, take out your uh, B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for you, and, and pull it up, open it up, and, uh, and read the passage we're going to look at today, and just ask the question, not, does this make me feel comfortable, or, you know, do I like what they said, but is this what the Bible teaches? Because it's Jesus. 
Jesus followers, like that's where we get our instructions. That's where we get our direction from, right? So that's, that's my, my challenge to you because it's going to be a little bit challenging this morning, but it should be fun. Now, what I want to do is just begin by looking at a passage in the end of Matthew, Matthew 28. And many of us maybe grew up uh, thinking or hearing this passage called the Great Commission. This is a, a, a time where Jesus has already died. He's already risen again. He has spent some time with his followers and he's just about to go back, like literally just about to go back to his, to the Father in heaven. And he gives his of followers, the disciples, plus a you know, kind of larger group of men and women, this final instructions so like, here's what I want you to do. And this is what he says. And uh, we're looking at this real quick because this will really kind of set the tone for what we're going to be talking about uh, this morning. So this is what he says, Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples. Now, let me stop right there. Go and make, isn't it interesting he doesn't say go and make Christians? Like that term, Hadn't been invented yet. Now, of course, Jesus probably knew of that term already. Because he's God. But it, no one was calling each other Christians. Like, Jesus says, this is what it is. You know, like, you're my disciples. Like, that's what it is. And this, it's interesting. The Greek word that we translate into two words, make disciples, that's actually one Greek word. And it literally means, uh, oh, let me, let me get it right. Because I said literally, and I actually want to do the, what it literally means. But, um... <laughs> It literally means to cause someone, to cause someone to become a follower, to cause someone to become a pupil, uh, to become a disciple. It's got that causation to it. It's like to cause someone. That's kind of kind of a wild deal. But this is what he says: final instructions. I want you to go make disciples. I want you to cause people to follow me. And then he says, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so that's what he leaves the the final instruction. He leaves his people with, and then he ascends that to the Father. He, he's in heaven, and his followers they actually go and do this. And it's really remarkable. If you study church history, the first 300 years of Christianity, it just explodes. Like, it's just wild. This, this small little group of people in Jerusalem, 300 years later, is, is this, this religion, this new religion, <coughs> actually becomes the, the uh, religion of all of Rome, embraced by emperors. Like, how in the world does that happen? Well, it happened because Jesus' followers actually did what Jesus said to do. They loved one another. They left, they left what Jesus said in, when, before he said it, and then they went and lived this out, loving each other and creating these little uh, ecclesias, these little communities of, of Jesus' followers where their friends could come and peer in and see how they love one another and, and then be invited to come and follow Jesus with them and believe what Jesus has done with them. And, and like it just grew and grew and grew. And like this crazy movement started by Jesus' followers living out what Jesus said to do and by loving one another until about 300 AD. And then uh, it had got ca- caught on so powerfully that the, the uh, you know, Empire of Rome actually said, all right, like, we're going to make all religions legal and we're actually going to adopt Christianity as the religion of Rome. And a couple of emperors you know, claimed that they were believers. This was like one of the worst things that could ever have happened for Christianity. And the reason why... It's because a shift took place where instead of Christians leveraging love to influence people for God, they began to leverage something new to them, 
a new tool in their tool bag, if you will. And that was power or control. And guys, listen to this. This is really important. Anytime we as Christians or disciples or I don't know what, what to call each other now, now that you know, we're doing this series, it's messing with me. But Jesus followers, anytime the church or Jesus followers ever leverage anything other than love, anytime we leverage anything other than love to influence people, we go backwards, not forwards. And unfortunately, the, 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 the church, the Jesus movement, Jesus followers, when they became the power, the religion of the day, they began to leverage their power and control to get people to conform to their way of living. And everything really started to go backwards from that point on. In fact, you could have reworded the Great Commission this way, if you will. So, therefore, go and impose my teachings Values and worldview on all nations, threatening them with judgment and destruction if they don't do everything I have commanded you. And that's kind of how they began to reword this. Like, therefore, go and impose my teachings, impose my values, impose my worldview on all nations, threatening them with judgment and destruction if they don't do everything I have commanded you. And like, that's the message of a group that has the power, that has the control. And guys, that is not the message of Jesus. Nor is it the message of the New Testament. That's not what was taught. Jesus said, people are going to know you, my disciples, by how you love one another. And, and yet, the church began to leverage something other than love to try to get people to conform, and things went backwards. It's probably why some of you have stayed away from church for so long. It's why most of our friends perhaps have, have stayed away from, you know, most of our friends who aren't in a, in a church have stayed away from church because they, they feel like, all right, like there's this group of people that are really trying to like force something on me that I've never signed up for. And it's caused you to stay away, stay away. But the, um, but that's not how we are to interact with outsiders, with people who don't believe what we believe. We're not to force it upon them. What's really interesting is like the Apostle Paul, was, he, was, he was great at this. He was great at loving people instead of forcing, coercing people to uh, line up with what he believed. Like with Apostle Paul, like after Jesus ascends to heaven, Paul comes to faith. He like makes it his life mission to say like, I'm going to go to the non-Jewish people. I'm going to go to the Gentile world, and I'm going to take the message of, of the gospel, the, the incredible message of what Jesus has done for us on the cross and through his resurrection. I'm going to take that message to a group of people who don't know anything about Jesus and who have a completely different worldview and have a completely different religion and really don't care to have a different worldview or religion. But I'm going to go to them, and I'm going to help them understand what Jesus has done. And really, I'm going to try to win them over. To believe the greatest news of all time, I'm going to try to win them. In fact, 1 Corinthians 9, 19, not, you don't have to turn there, but let me just read this. This is kind of, you see, uh, Paul's strategy laid out for us in this passage. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. In other words, like, I'm not, I'm not going to power up here. I'm not going to get all high and, and mighty. I'm not going to get all judgmental to try to get people to come over to my way of thinking. But he says, I, I'm making myself a servant for all, for the purpose of, and verse continues to say, uh, that I might win more of them. That I might win more of them. He then he goes on to say in that passage, like, I became a Jew to the Jews, that I might win as many as possible. I became like one who doesn't have the law, 
uh, to those who don't have the law in order to win as many as possible. I became like a Gentile to the Gentiles to win as many as possible. And like we were to ask Paul, like, hey, Paul, like, what, are you, what are you trying to do? He would say, I'm trying to win as many people as possible. Say, well, Paul, like, why are you trying to do that? Well, I'm, I'm trying to do that because Jesus said, I want you to go cause people to become my followers. And what I've realized is that there's no way to do that except by trying to win them over. I can't power up. I can't implore them. I can't, I can't force them to do that. I, I have to win them over. Now think about this for a second. We, we get this concept, right, of, of trying to win someone over. Like this is different than trying to win, like, you know, get the victory. Like this is actually trying to like win a contract, right? Or like win someone's heart or win someone's hand. Like y'all, y'all know that. Like if you ever won a contract, did you win a contract by like, like, forcing someone to sign a contract with you? Like, of course not. You, you, have, you have to like help them see that you can be trusted or help them see that your product or your price is the best price, right? And then you win the, the contract. Or like anyone who's, who's married or dating, like how did you ever get that person to spend time with you, much less marry you? How did you win their heart? Was it by like forcing them <laughs> to, to marry you? Not in our culture, right? That doesn't, that doesn't really go over well here. It, it, it's by actually sh- making you the most attractive option, which is really amazing that some of y'all were able to pull that off. But they, it's like you making you the most attractive option and really helping. Like that's how you win someone's heart. And like Paul is saying, like this is what I've discovered when it comes to helping our people become followers of Jesus, which was Jesus has called us to do. The way that I've figured out how to do that is by trying to win them over. And he said, I'm at it by serving them, by being with them, by going to them, by taking on their like customs. Like to the Jews, I became like a Jew. To the Gentiles, I became Gentile. Like whatever I could do without disobeying God, like I would do in order to be with them, in order to relate to them, in order to serve them because I love them. And when I'm loving them in this way and they're getting to see and hear about the love of God, then they end up being won over. That's what Paul was trying to do. That's how Paul related to those outside of the faith. Now, what I want to do is, like so far I've kind of just talked about what, what Jesus has said or what, what, what Paul has done kind of as an example, but I want us to look the rest of our time at a passage in Scripture where Paul actually teaches this principle. He actually teaches us to relate to those that aren't believers in this way instead of trying to force stuff on them and trying to get them to, to live according to a certain kind of standard or certain way of life by just using threats of God's judgment or, or just force or power or whatever, but instead that we actually are to love people in, that, in the way that Paul did. I want us to look at that passage. So if you have your Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and that's where we're going to be for the, for the rest of our time together this morning. Um, now let me give you a little context while you're, while you're turning there. And to get to the point that I'm trying, like I'm wanting to flesh out today, we're going to have to go a little bit through some weeds. And, but it, it, they're interesting weeds. And so just stay with me, all right? But in the context for this passage, um, 
Paul had visited the, uh, the city of Corinth. And Corinth was, uh, was kind of like the Las Vegas of the day. And uh, last week I was actually in Las Vegas doing some research on what Corinth might be like. And uh, it's sinful and immoral place. And, um, but that's, what, like, that's what, what's going on with, with Corinth. And um, so Paul starts a church there. And uh, he's got some people that have, have come, come to Christ. And he, uh, and it's like, but like they live in this like really sensual city and there's, it's going to be really hard to like really follow Jesus in the, with the flow of the current of the culture at that, that place. But he was, many come to Christ. There's a small church there. He leaves to go start other churches. And then he starts periodically writing letters back to this church in Corinth to, to continue to give them instruction and encouragement to follow God in the midst of this culture of their city where in the, and in this world where it's really hard to live like Jesus would live. And so he's writing these letters. And we, we believe that, that he at least wrote the, the church in Corinth four letters. But we only have two, two of them. So, so somehow the other two got lost. But the two that we have actually refer to these other letters. And so just a little context of what's going on. Now, apparently, at some point in time, um, Paul gets word that there's something going on in this church that's like, uh, that's Weird and sinful. And in fact, he says like, it's, it's such a, it's, it's kind of so sinful that even the, the, the outsiders in the church, even what he would refer to as, as the pagans would look at it and be like, nah, uh, no, that's just, that's just weird. That's just gross. Like it's that kind of stuff. So he writes a letter and in this letter, he addresses this, like, you, you gotta be kidding me kind of situation that's happening in the church. And that's, so that's the, that's the passage we're going to look at this morning. So if, 1 Corinthians 5, he says this, starting in verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. And let me stop right there. That before we get into the juicy details, there's, there's something that's, that's worth uh, noticing here. And that it's, Paul's saying, okay, there's, there's really like two t- different types of like morality or like way of living, kind of standard of living that's at play here. Like there's the Christian standard and then there's outside of the church standard. And like everyone has standards, like the Romans had standards, the Greeks had standards, the Christians have standards. He says, like what's happening in the church is so like, like ridiculous that even those outside of the church, even with their more loose standards of what might be sexually immoral or whatever, like they're even saying, oh man, that's just weird. Like no one does that. Who does that? And so, okay, so you want to know what it is, right? So he goes on, he says, for a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. So man has his father's wife. Okay, I I don't think that this man is sleeping with his mom. I think Paul would have said that. Like he would, I think he would have worded it that way. But apparently what's happening is that there's a guy in the church that is uh, uh, sleeping with uh, his um, either stepmom or perhaps his dad's ex-wife. Um, you know, hopefully it's that. But, it's, but even then, you're kind of lesser of two evils, right? So, uh, you know, and so, and the... In the Greek, like, it's clear that this is not just, like, a one-time event. Like, he was, like, he's, you know, slipped up. He was brushing his teeth one night late at night, and his stepmom walks by, and, you know, one thing led to another. It's not, not one of those things. It's like, this is an ongoing thing that he's kind of doing. And so, and what's wild is that this whole idea of, like, he's, y'all are so uncomfortable. It's great. It's really fun. You should see yourself. The, uh, what's really, what's, uh, 
and what's, what, what he, well, Paul draws out here is like this statement of like, and you're arrogant, or another translation would say, and you're proud, is basically Paul's getting on to them for like you're, like, you're not doing anything about that. And their church, just some context, the church in Corinth was probably about the size of our church. It was probably no bigger than about 50 people. And so it's a type of deal where most of the people in the church would know what was going on, and yet no one is saying anything to this guy. And I don't know if the lady is a part of the church. She, he doesn't, Paul doesn't actually address her in, here, in this, but at least no one's talking to the guy about this who is in the church, who's a Jesus follower. And so Paul goes on. He says this. He says, um, in verse 2, Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. And so Paul's saying, like, shouldn't you ha- guys, like, shouldn't y'all have addressed this? So shouldn't you all have gone into mourning over the sin that's happening in this guy's life and within the life of your, of your church? And shouldn't you have kicked this guy out for doing this? He goes on, he says, For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, as if present. And like, okay, check this out. Like, this is, this is kind of hardcore. But uh, as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. And at that point, we, we might be tempted to say, oh, okay, okay, Paul, time out, buddy. You, but I know this is, like, I know you got kind of worked up, but this is, you, you get, a little, get a little bit out of control here. Like, Paul, don't you know, we're not supposed to judge people. Like, Christians, the Bible says, do not judge. Which Paul could have turned around and said, hey, hey, I am writing the Bible. Like, this, this is the Bible. Thank you, thank you very much. And to that, we're like, oh, my goodness. Like, this is confusing. Because haven't, haven't we said that so many times? Do not, the Bible says do not judge. Like, we've said that. We've heard that, say, uh, heard that said over and over again. And yet here, this Paul saying, like, I am passing judgment on this guy. Like, what, what's going on? So let me, let me just try to clear up something for us. And perhaps, perhaps you just came for this. Maybe this will be your big takeaway of the day. And if it is, then, then you could be the smartest person in the next dinner party or in your office. When you hear somebody say, Bible says do not judge, you can say this. The truth is that the Bible doesn't say do not judge. The Bible just tells us who to judge. The truth is that the Bible doesn't say we shouldn't judge. The Bible tells us who to judge. And Paul, in this letter, is judging this person in the church. And the reason why he's judging him is because he is a Jesus follower. He's one that said, I'm in. Like, I believe this. I believe Jesus is my Savior. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. And yet, he's out of whack. What he's said he wants to do and what he says he believes, he's doing the complete opposite. And to that guy, Paul says, I'm judging you. I'm holding what you're doing up to what Jesus would do. And I'm saying it's out of whack. And he's telling the people in the church, you too should judge him for that. Now, we'll, we'll get to, we'll talk more about this because like that, like that, this is hard, right? Like that's, this is what I was alluding to earlier. Like this is not warm and fuzzy kind of love right here. This is like, I don't know if I, if I like that. I, I like the Bible says, do not judge. I, I like that more than, than this kind of stuff. But, but here's what, what happens. Paul says, uh, you know, in there, he's like, you know, I haven't even like met this guy yet, but if what you're saying about him is true, like if I, I've, I already have passed judgment. 
And so he goes on, and I'm not going to read it for sake of time, but he goes on and rests this passage, and he says some, some pretty strong things. And so um, he, uh, he says, I want you guys to put this guy out of the community. In fact, he says, I, I want you to make, basically, he used some figurative language here, but he says, basically, I want you to make Satan his custodian. He says, like, I want you to hand this guy over to Satan. Again, it's like this kind of figurative um, uh, legal language. But basically, in our terms, like he's basically saying, hey, I want you to make uh, Satan his parole officer. Like, hey, 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 meet your new parole officer. It's Satan. Like, that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of what he's saying. And it's, it's like, that's really, like, it's really of a strong, it's a strong statement. And, but here's what Paul understood. And this is what many of us have figured out through kind of some, some hard choices in our life. And if you haven't figured this out, you're, you're going to figure this out because it's just a universal principle. Uh, sin, guys, always has a consequence. I know that, right? Like, sin always has consequences. The Bible says that the, the wages of sin is death. And that does imply, like, physical death, but certainly more than that. Like, there's, there's a death that comes with every sin, and like some of y'all, like I've just been, this has been true for me in my past, but where you, you, you started doing something that was a lot of fun, and then it became an addiction. And then now you want to, you wish you could get out of doing that, but it's so hard to getting out of that, doing that. And, and, and now like a part of your freedom has died as a result of you getting caught up into this stuff. Like with every sin, there's, there's a, a consequence. Like many of y'all have probably experienced getting into or being right now in a relationship you know you shouldn't be in. And at first it's been good, 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 it was good, 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 but now it's bad, 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 bad. And you just feel it and you just know like every time a sin there's a consequence. And this is, this is what Paul is saying about this guy. He says, you, you need to help this guy feel the consequences of his sin. And like, it's not to, like, send the guy to hell. That's not what he's saying when he's, like, make saying this parole officer. He's not like, y'all should cast this guy out of the community and send him to hell. But what, he, what he's saying is sometimes the shortest route back to God is if you just give someone the freedom to really run in the direction they're wanting to run, even if what the direction they're wanting to run in is, is really far from God. And you just let them run that direction as fast and as far as they want to go, until they start really feeling the consequences of their sin. And then, when they've been beaten up really bad by their sin, they'll find their way back to you, to, to a community of believers. And they'll repent, and you, and you welcome them with open arms. You welcome this person back so that they can be around the rest of us, beat up, messed up sinners who are trying to walk with God. And like, that's what Paul's getting at. He, so he says, like, you gotta let this guy run. If that's the direction he wants to run in, let him run, but don't let him, don't let him do that amongst you. Let him go, let him get beat up with that sin, and let him come back to you, and you welcome him back. So anyways, that's, that's a specific situation. There's probably a lot more that can be said on that, and we've got a guest lunch today. If you want to talk to me about that the whole time, I might, I might talk to you about it some more. But, uh, what Paul does is he continues on, and it's like as if he's writing this, uh, it dawns on him, hey, you know, what? you know what? You know what might be happening here? The reason that they're not handling this the way that they should 
is maybe they got something confused that I wrote in an earlier letter. And now this is an earlier letter that we've lost. We don't know, but he alludes to this letter and he says, basically he starts to try to clarify something that he had written to them before. And so if you will, jump, jump down to verse 9. And in verse 9, he says, um, uh, he says, I, I wrote you in my letter which was the letter that was lost. He says, uh, not to associate with sexually immoral people. And uh, he's kind of about to explain what he meant by that. And he says, you know, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Okay, so, so that's helpful, right? Like, the first thing we learn here is that as, as, as followers of Jesus, we're not to like disengage from everybody else in the world because of their sin. Like, he said, if you're going to do that, you just have to, to leave the world. No, you, you continue to hang out with people who are not followers of Jesus and yet live like they're not followers of Jesus. Like, that's okay. You should be around them. I'm not telling you to disengage from them. But then he, he clarifies further. He says in verse 11, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or that's his way of saying, like, as a disciple or as in the family of the faith. To not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now, this is harsh, right? I and mean, this is kind of hardcore. But he's saying, okay, I want, I want to make sure that you get this. You're supposed to judge people on the inside. And you don't have any business judging those who are on the outside. He says, but if there's somebody on the inside of your, of your community that, that's a believer, that's actually said, like, I want to follow Jesus, considers himself a disciple, and yet is living, it's kind of helpful to think about it this way, is living in a wrong direction. It's saying this is what they believe and this is what they want to do, but they're going a different direction. Then we need to judge them. Now, that word, the J word, like that word carries in our culture such an awful connotation, doesn't it? Like every time you hear that, like you just kind of like, Ooh, I, I hate that we're talking about this right now. But with Paul, it, it wasn't that way. Like in our culture, when we hear the word judge, like we just initially think that it's coming from an arrogant spot and it comes with a strong sense of condemnation. Like I think those are the two things that we kind of really associate strongly with, with being judged by someone. It's like they think that they're better than me, and they are condemning not just my action, but who I am. And that's not what Paul's saying here. And Paul is saying, it's like basically saying to one another, like, hey man, like, I know you want to follow Christ. I want to follow Christ. Can you help? Like, can we help each other? As co-disciples, like, can we help each other follow Jesus? And when you see where I'm out of whack, will you point that out to me? And where I see, when you see that I'm out of whack, will you point that out to me? Because this is what we've already said we want to do. And when I'm going in the wrong direction, say something. And when you say something, say something in light of the gospel truth that you don't have it all figured out either. And so, like, we don't have it. So it's not from this, from this vantage point of arrogance looking down on you. It's, it's a brother who also sees, or a sister who also sees, like, I, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. 
I don't have it all together. In fact, I see that you're messed up in here. What Jesus would say to do is, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to examine myself. I'm going to take the log out of my own eye first because I probably am messing up that way myself. And, so I'm going to, and then I'm going to come to you really humble because I know that I don't have it all figured out, but I'm going to point out to you because I love you. And I'm going to do that in a way that, that isn't condemning who you are because you are a, a, a new creation. You are in Christ. Like you, you, there's nothing that you can, like you'll feel no condemnation in Christ. There is no condemnation. So I'm not bringing you condemnation. I'm not saying that you're an awful person, that you're no good, you're worthless. I'm just saying that this action, this thing that you're doing, this, not all of your life even, but this thing, this is out of line with what, Christians should do or Jesus followers should do because it's not what Jesus would do. And that's different than what we think about with judging. But it doesn't make it easy, does it? <laughs> to, to actually have that kind of conversation, even with that framework, it doesn't make it easy to have a conversation because that's love. See, if we believe that Jesus really has laid out for us the best way to live because he's God, then it's love to help each other live that way. And if someone has said, hey, I want to follow Jesus, and that's really what their heart desires, and yet they're not following Jesus, it's love to say, hey, man, I know this is what you said you want to do, and you're not doing it right here. And it's not like I've got it all figured out either, but I just wanted to point that out to you, and I'd like to help you with that. And I've got these areas. You can help me with that. That's, that's love. It's not mean. It's not easy, but it's not mean. That's what Paul's saying the church should be doing not just in this situation specifically, but in all situations when there's someone that's in sin within the believing community, we point that out to one another. But we do not, we do not, we do not, we do not judge outsiders. We have no business judging them. In fact, that's what Paul goes on to say in verse 11. He says, uh, or in verse 12, he says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Or another translation puts it this way. What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? And the the answer is kind of a rhetorical question, but the answer clearly is, it's none of my business. And what, what business do you have, do I have, of looking at those who are outside of the church who do not claim to be Jesus followers and to look at them and say, you're not following Jesus. You're not living the right way. What, what, you know, what, like what responsibility or what uh, you know, leverage do I have to look at them and call them to live that way? It's, it's none of my business. It's none of your business. It's not our business. We, we need to judge those inside the church lovingly and humbly. And we do not need to judge. We should not judge those outside of the church. And it's so wild is that the church has gotten this so backwards, haven't we? What's our reputation in the culture? It's that we're hypocrites and we're judgmental. Well, where does that come from? Well, we're hypocrites because we got a bunch of us that are not living the way that we say we want to live. Well, but we're not doing much about it because we don't, we don't point each other towards Christ. We don't judge each other. But everyone, all outside, outsiders feel really judged by Christians. Why? Because we're really good at judging them. And we've got it backwards. Paul finishes the passage by saying this, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those on the outside. See, in the first century, here's the deal. 
before Christianity was like the power of the religious power of the day, here's how they related. They, they didn't expect non-Jesus followers to behave like Jesus followers. They didn't expect, uh, they didn't expect that. Instead, and here, like this is the game changer, right? They actually expected Jesus followers to behave like Jesus followers. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's kind of how, how it worked. And, and, and Paul says, like, when you do that, then you actually, the Jesus followers are actually loving one another to help each other follow Jesus. And when you do that, the way that you're relating to those outside of faith is you're not using power or control or condemnation or the threats of destruction and judgment from God. You're not using that to try to get people to align. Instead, what you're doing is they're getting to peer in and see how we love one another. And they're getting to feel love from us, not condemnation from us. And it turns out that God uses that to really draw people to himself. Now, here's, here's the thing. And man, I... Time just goes by too fast. But um, for me, I'm sure for y'all, it's not that way. I'm so sorry about that. Um, I just want to say, I could talk about this for a lot longer. I'm going to try not to. But there, it's, to me, one of the big things I've been asking all week is like, why is, why, do we, why is this so hard for us? Why do we get this backwards? Why do we do a poor job judging each other? And we do a poor job, and then we, and then we mess up, we, so we don't do that. And then why do we judge others? What, what's going on in our heart that makes that difficult for us? And to me, I think there's a lot of different answers to that, but two that have come to my mind, I just want to point to real quickly. The first is this, that we, we deal with pride, and we've got a pride problem. And one way that pride shows up in this situation is that it leads to an us versus them mentality, where we uh, think our group, the Christians, we've got things figured out. We know the right way to live or whatever it is. And whether we're living that way or not, we can turn to others that, aren't, that don't think the same way we do, and we can judge them and throw stones, throw rocks at them and say, hey, we, we are right and you guys are wrong. And they feel judged by us. It's this us versus them mentality, which causes us to really exaggerate the sins of outsiders and turn a blind eye to the sins of insiders because we just defend ourselves. Yeah, so that's just ugly, and that's prideful, and it's, it's not the way that God would want us to live. It's not living like Jesus. And what the solution to that is that we really need to embrace the gospel because this is the power of the gospel message. The power of the gospel is that it has the power to humble us because the gospel tells us that, no, it's not like we've got it figured out and we're right and they're wrong. It's that no one's got it figured out. We're all living wrong, that we're all so bad that God had to die for us, that we're all so messed up that Jesus himself had to die for us. And what that does is it kills the us versus them boundaries, doesn't it? Because then we see that we're all messed up and that there's only one person who's got it figured out. There's only one good person, and that's Jesus himself. And that when Jesus himself showed up on the scene, he came with these words, and this is absolutely remarkable, but he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. If all the people had the right to show up and condemn every person that he saw, it was Jesus, and yet Jesus did not come to condemn but to save. And aren't we so glad that he did? Because if Jesus had come condemning and judging, then we would all be outsiders forever. But instead, Jesus came out of love to save, to win people. And guys, let us, let us 
see his example, but even more, let us be empowered by his spirit within us, who because he has accepted us through what he's done for us, we too can relate the way that he relates. And so let us not come condemning, but let us come loving. And guys, let that gospel humble us in how we interact with each other when we need to point out sin in each other's lives, like I was referring to, either, uh, referring to earlier. The other thing that makes this so hard to actually live this out is because this calls for a level of love that just is unnatural for us. Because it's so much easier to, to judge people who are outside our faith, to judge them from afar for not living the right way. It's so much easier to do that than to actually get to know them and in our relationship with them. And it, man, it's so much easier to turn a blind eye to sin in our brother or sister's life than it is to have a hard conversation with them. But that's not love. Neither of those things are love. But that kind of love, man, it's just like it's for me. Like I don't have that in myself. And so like what Adam was talking about last week is so appropriate. We got to go to the waterfall. We got to go to the source of love. It's what Jesus is saying in like the theme verse of this entire series. It's, it's that uh, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this, all people know that you're my disciples. We have love for one another. And it all comes from the statement, as I have loved you. Because Jesus has loved us. And his love for us is not dependent on our love for him or our love for others. That we can love others because he first loved us. And when we bask, when we embrace, when we swim in his great love for us, then we have the love to give to people who are not living in a way that you think is the right way to live. And you, you actually, instead of judging them, you go and befriend them that you might win them as they taste and experience the love of God. And it gives you the strength that when you see your friend, your brother or sister in Christ, who's not living in the way that Jesus will live, that you would love them enough to go and talk to them out of love and point them back to Jesus. Guys, we need the love of God in order to love like God. And we've got it. That's the wild news. God has loved us. Let us love one another. And let's stop judging outsiders.